you have the chance to win a Spring Super Sweeps from LAist. Donate $60 for one entry to win a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Check out all the other prizes too when you donate now at LAist.com sweeps. I'm Tracy Thomas, host of One for the Books, a live literary event series from LAist. We are back with guests, author Amanda Montel and actor Bella Lavelle. You can find us on May 15th at the Crawford Family Forum. Tickets at LAist.com events. Last year in television, it was an equal number of episodes directed by men and women. That is unheard of. Director and producer, Leslie Linka-Glatter. And I hate to say that shame works, but in some way it does. You don't really want to be at the worst of list in diverse and women hiring. Like, that's just not a place you want to be. I'm John Horn. With its literal health on the line, Hollywood is trying to write its own comeback story. But can the industry get back to work while COVID-19 remains undefeated? Producer and director Leslie Linka-Gladder is working to develop new safety protocols for filming. But if Hollywood is to thrive again, how shows get made is only one part of the puzzle. Who makes them is just as important. This is Hollywood, the sequel. Welcome to our podcast. It's where we ask some of the entertainment industry's sharpest minds how Hollywood could and should reinvent itself when it's safe for production to really get going again. The safety issue has been a real front of mind concern for director Leslie Linka-Gladder probably best known for her work on the Showtime series Homeland. Her credits also include Mad Men, Masters of Sex, and Twin Peaks. She's also part of a critical Directors Guild of America committee. Along with other Hollywood unions, the DGA is trying to come up with production safety guidelines. It's scary out there because of how cases have exploded in the last three weeks. So productions that were geared to go back now are re-examining. Everyone is struggling to find a way to get back. Everyone wants to get back to work, all of us. But obviously we have to do that in a safe way. We've been talking on this podcast about how this might be a reset moment for Hollywood, that it can take a hard look at itself and maybe bring about some real and lasting change, especially when it comes to equity and inclusion. But Gladder worries there's also a chance the town might go back to its old and worst practices. Now, what's going to happen when we open up? You know, I hope there's not a backslide. I hope that uh, all kinds of stories and all kinds of directors are being hired to tell those stories. We talked to Gladder on two occasions, back in May and then more recently. When we first talked, I asked Gladder where she was when the world shut down. We had just finished Homeland, doing the post on Homeland, and I was ready to go off to do my next project, which is called The Banker's Wife. This is at Amazon, is that right? 
Yes, it is. It's an eight-part miniseries for Amazon, and it looks at the banks that do business with dictators and money launders and drug runners and presidents and the wealthy and entitled. And uh, it has two great female leads, and I'm working with Meredith Steam, who was a writer and executive producer on Homeland, and I'm directing all eight, and she is writing all eight. So I had my four suitcases and three boxes all packed ready to go to Budapest. And the night before I was getting on the plane, we got the call. And you were cast, like ready to start shooting? No, we were just starting prep. Thank goodness we were not like days away from the first day of shooting. That would be, I know people that were, so I am very uh, compassionate about that. So I suspect, is it mostly present day or is it period? It's present day. So there are things that, Three months ago, if you went to a bank, the way you handed over your money or you got your deposit slip, you got your parking validated, that in a new world, people would say, well, that's not how it's done. So it's not just how you film the actual events. It's whether or not those events are still the way things are done. So you're, yes. you might have to be rewriting basic things about how people go into a bank or do electronic banking. I think those are going to be creative choices that every filmmaker is going to need to grapple with. You know, and certainly if it's a period piece, that makes it a whole lot easier to do because, you know, we can go back to old times. And now, you know, is everyone really going to be running around wearing masks in every dramatic or comedic, you know, storytelling situation? I don't know. These are big creative choices. Let's look at what might change, and we can kind of come up with our own wish list, but let's just say that there is a moment where the industry can reset and reconsider many of its assumptions. I'm going to start by hiring, by the people who are hired to make content and appear in content. It is a white man's business, and that generally has been the rule for the last many, many decades. So is there a possibility that there is a chance for the business in some way to reset and change who gets to make stories and who appears in those stories? I always hope that, John. And I do think things have changed. I have been very involved with mentoring women directors for many, many years. And I do see in the last couple of years, the doors opening more. Statistically, last year in television, it was an equal number of episodes directed by men and women. That is unheard of. For many years, it hovered around 15, 20%, and maybe would go up a little bit, and then it would go back down again. And I think any director, female director that's been working for a long time has heard, you know, we hired a woman once and it didn't work. You know, of course, that's an absurd statement. You would never say you hired a white man and that didn't work. So no more white man. You know, you you can't categorize anyone in that way, uh, men or women. And I have always believed that it shouldn't be harder for our daughters to direct than for our sons. It should be equally difficult for everyone. Directing is not an easy path. And but it should be equal. Uh, And I think we're starting to see that. I think the Me Too movement shined a a strong light on that. I think there are more roles for diverse casts, but is it where it should be? Certainly not in feature films. When you think about the people that you work with, 
there was a report by an organization called Americans for the Arts, and they found that unemployment among artists was as high as restaurant workers. And yeah. that is, you know, visual artists, actors, dancers, choreographers, that you were once a choreographer. Yes. There are people in the business who go from job to job, and if those jobs don't come along, might be that close to not being able to make it. So what happens to the people who might be the next great costume designer or the next great actor who says to him or herself, I can't wait, I'm going to toss it and go do something else? Is there the possibility that a generation of future artists won't have the chance because they can't find work now and might not be able to find work if production is limited going forward? This is a horrifying thought, but it's a it's a very real one and very important question to ask. And I hate thinking that there will be a generation of young people whose voices we won't hear. And but there is an economic reality we're all facing. But what you're talking about is a horrifying thought. And I think there's reality to it. Absolutely. I hope that after somehow this passes, that people come back. If they have to go away, they come back. And there's the corporate equivalent to that, and that is, you know, companies like a big movie theater chain or a talent agency or, you know, some affiliated business that doesn't make it, that there are pretty good chances that a brand we know, AMC Entertainment, William Morris Endeavor, is going to come back maybe as a shadow of itself or maybe not at all. And it very much in a transformed way. And I think we will see attrition. Now, what that looks like now will uh, the theater business, the movie theater business. Listen, we all grew up going to the movies. It was one of the more exciting things you could do, sit in a room of people watching an incredible story. So the thought of that being more limited, you know, that's that's a tough one. And we might lose. We might lose some folks in that. Coming up, Hollywood really wants to get back to work again, but some places are more dangerous now than when production shut down. Nobody expected there to be spikes all over America. And this deals with something so much bigger than what our film unions and guilds can't control. It is a much bigger problem. Imagine if you could charge your electric vehicle at the places you already love to eat, shop, and play. Whether you're at the movies, on your weekly grocery trip, or running errands at your local mall, Volta EV charging stations are built around your day-to-day and located in your community and nationwide. All you have to do is check in, plug in, and go about your day. It's EV charging made convenient. Download the Volta app to find your new favorite place to charge. Hi, I'm Tracy Thomas, host of One for the Books, and we are back for another round. This is clearly an NPR audience. (laughs) I think they're so smart. What the hell? My guests this time are actor Vela Lavelle and author Amanda Montel, whose new book, The Age of Magical Overthinking, is out now. Join us on May 15th at the Crawford Family Forum for book talk, trivia, and hot takes. Tickets can be found at laist.com slash events.
In June, a coalition of entertainment industry unions put together a report called The Safe Way Forward. It's a long list of guidelines for how production might resume in the wake of the pandemic. Leslie Linka-Gladder is on the safety task force for the Directors Guild of America. So I asked her how hard it was for all of the guilds to agree on the recommendations. Each of the unions and guilds were working on their their own guidelines, and we all came together. So SAG, DGA, IA, and IATSE are all working together. And uh, we have a uniform view as to what is going to be safe practices. Now, obviously, this is changing because the what we know about the coronavirus, how it spread, what you have to do to stay safe, this is constantly changing. And as tests, different kinds of tests become better and better, that will change again. So it's a living, breathing document. Were there things that were really important to you that you got? And was there some negotiation? Was it like anything where you give up a little bit to get something else? There are conversations still going on. What I can tell you is the things that are non-negotiable are people's safety. So testing, you have to be able to test people. You have to have a zone system as to how you protect people and and the amount of testing that goes on in each zone. There are things that are non-negotiable, masks, PPE. So we're still in process. So I can't go into the granular things about that, but I can tell you the concern of all of the guilds and unions are our member safety and getting people back to work in the best possible way. Nobody expected there to be spikes all over America. And this deals with something so much bigger than what our film unions and guilds can control. It is a much bigger problem. So what does this mean for you and your project, The Banker's Wife? How does that affect its future? Well, that's an interesting question because we were we are shooting in five different countries and moving all over Europe. Now, Europe has dealt with this so much more effectively than America. So they did not open up before it was safe. Uh, so Europe is now looking much more possible. I thought we would be one of the last groups back, the last productions back, and now we're discussing when we can go back. So things are still in process, but it's looking better than it was the last time I talked to you. One of the things that has definitely changed since we last spoke is what has happened in the country outside of the pandemic. There's been a huge reckoning about our nation's history and about how we treat people who don't look like me, meaning white men. And it's really gone through all levels of society and business, and it's certainly been a conversation in Hollywood. So separate from the pandemic, as you have thought about the response that you want to make, that the industry needs to make, where would you say your priorities are, and how do you think if the industry can, in fact, reset itself, it should? What are the changes that need to happen? Well, the changes are are systemic, and I think we all have to. I'm a middle aged white woman, you know. That's that's what I am. So we all have to look at this as objectively. I feel like I have a lot to learn, so I want to put myself in that position to learn. So I'm not making assumptions uh, because I am 
you know, uh, uh, what I see myself as a liberal person, I think that can be a stumbling block. So I want to, I think we all have a lot to learn so we can make substantive change. Can I tell you what that change is? There's so much conversation about it, but no, I can't. I feel like now this is the time to ask questions and to learn. So we're not having this conversation again. But it does seem like, and I don't think this is unique to Hollywood, but the people in power are hesitant generally to question their own assumptions or to doubt their own beliefs. And that it's not a business that really celebrates questioning. It's about, uh, this is the way it's going to be, and I believe it, and I'm going to make it happen. That you, There's so much of a kind of force of personality and will that goes into running a movie studio or a TV network. Is it possible, given the mindset of most Hollywood executives, that they can step back and challenge their own thinking and question their own assumptions and make different decisions? I think if individuals take the responsibility to question themselves, that something will move. I I mean, there was, if you look at women directors, there has been a huge seismic shift in the hiring of women directors in the last five years. And it took a lot. It took the whole Me Too movement. It took this being part of the bigger cultural zeitgeist to to make substantive change. So I believe change is possible. Does it come easily? No, of course not. I think oftentimes people have to be dragged you know, forcibly into change. But I, I, maybe I'm a realistic optimist or an optimistic realist that I do believe change is possible, but it has to start with the individuals. Why has TV done a better job than film? I think there's been a commitment to change. So, so every year the DGA publishes a best of list and worst of list. And I hate to say that shame works But in some way, it does. You don't really want to be the worst of list in diverse and women hiring. Like, that's just not a place you want to be. So I think with all of the discussion, because it became part of the conversation and part of the cultural zeitgeist, change happened. And people decided this was important and we have to do better. And studios and networks made commitments to that, not just in the programs, diversity programs, but also in, you know, in the people that do the hiring. I think it's safe to say that the economic pressures that are on the business now are unlike anything we've ever seen in terms of how people are seeing things, you know, what it costs to be safe now. And I think Historically, when people are worried about costs and worried about risk, they mitigate that risk by doing the conservative thing. And the conservative thing is hire the person they've always hired before. So is it a concern that that will prevent people from doing what they might really need to do, which is hire differently instead of just bringing back the same old white guy they've had before? I I think that's a concern. And It's impossible to know right now from where we're sitting how that's going to play out. But I do think when there are financial concerns, people become more conservative. And I hope that's not the case. It's something we have been talking about with these great gains that have been made. We don't want to slide back. Uh, But I think no one 
really knows how we're going to get started again. And there are areas where we have so much more work to do. With women directors in TV, we've seen really substantive change. And we don't want to slide back with that, but we have a lot of work to do with diverse directors, women and diverse directors in feature films. It's, there's so much more to do. If you look at people who get hired for, say, baseball managers, it's always the same guys. It's like you can have a losing record, but because you've done it, you get your job back. How does mentorship work against that? How do you make sure that the next generation of underrepresented filmmakers get to tell their stories? And how does that work in practical terms? I feel it's essential to have diverse voices and hear diverse stories. I want that. It makes storytelling so much more interesting. So I feel like people in a position to mentor need to do whatever they can to open the door and grab the hand of the next generation and, and keep pushing. Whether I don't think there's one like silver bullet that makes it work. Uh, it's the times I've been on a phone call with the network and studio and they they talk about hiring and you, you know, one is in a position to bring up many different diverse directors' names and say, no, they're fantastic. I, I've seen their work. You need to look at the work. You have to just speak out. And if you're in a position to hire, make those choices. In the weeks to come, we're going to hear from some of the people behind the scenes whose work is key to Hollywood success. Here's casting director David Rubin. Our job is to open the minds up of our directors and our producers and our studio executives to point out that this particular role doesn't need to be a white guy in his 40s. It could be a woman. It could be a person of color. It can be a little person. It can be a different age. Our thanks to Leslie Linka-Gladder and to you for listening. We hope that you'll subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And please give us a rating, leave us a comment, and share the podcast. This episode of Hollywood, the sequel, was produced by Shelley Lewis, Jonathan Shiflett, and Monica Bushman, with help from Darby Maloney and Jessica Pilot. Our engineer and sound designer is Eduardo Perez. Our theme music is composed by Nicholas Bertel. Hollywood, the sequel, is a production of LAS Studios. I'm John Horn. We'll see you next time. The LAS Spring Super Sweeps is happening now. You can win amazing prizes while supporting your source for local fact-based journalism. One lucky grand prize winner will get to choose a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Other prizes include an electric bike from Juice Bikes and $1,000 gas gift cards. Your donation of $60 gets you one entry to win. And the more you give, the more entries you get. Donate now at LAS.com sweeps.